welcome back to Rooted. I'm your host, Shanae Lambert. Here at Rooted, we focus on practical application of God's word to our lives, believing that in doing so, we can be transformed into not only who God created us to be, but who we truly desire to be. I don't know about you, but a real life area where most people admittedly need help is with parenting. God cares about us as parents, and he especially cares about how we parent. This series, Honor and Anger, addresses the roles we play and the roles our children play in a relationship that ought to mirror our relationship with God, one where the children pay honor and respect and obey, and the parent makes it easy to do. If you're unsure what I mean by that, you'll find our first episode in this series extremely helpful. Tonight, we're going to focus on vulnerability and specifically what Dr. Brene Brown refers to as wholehearted parenting, a mindset and a method where we dare to be the adults we want our children to be. (laughs) I know it's a lot. Join me tonight for part four in our honor and anger series, vulnerability and emotional intelligence. Let's get started. Hey friend, I don't know if anything keeps you up more at night as a parent like me than the fear that I'm doing all of this wrong. Please tell me I'm not alone. In the 10 years that I've been a mom, I feel like a vet, but I don't know that I've ever been fully confident that I've really got this thing down. Not only am I growing and changing as a person, but so is my son. And as a result, the idea that I can cookie cutter this thing goes right out the window. What do you mean you don't like tacos? You liked them last week. What kid doesn't like tacos? What do you mean you don't want to do karate anymore? You're a second degree junior black belt. You've put in so much work. What do you mean you'd rather be in your room than cuddle under me? (laughs) Unacceptable. I say unacceptable. Changes. You notice them and you wonder if this is supposed to happen or if your child is changing as a result of something you've done wrong. Now, I try to make light of the subject with those examples, but hopefully you know what I mean. As parents, we tend to have a very powerful and driving fear that we aren't perfect. So let me help both you and I resolve this issue once and for all. We're not. And guess what? It's okay. We have to accept the fact that we aren't going to do this thing perfectly because the alternative is to not only constantly be disappointed in ourselves, but to also be disappointed in our kids who aren't manifesting into the quote-unquote perfect humans we desire them to be. Not only does this drive for perfectionism harm us and our kids, but it also harms other parents. How? Because for some who have begrudgingly accepted that they may not be perfect, their lifeline is tied to the fact that they believe at least they're better than you. How does this show up? I don't think I've seen it more than amongst a group of mothers. God bless us. Most moms admittedly obsess over parenting choices, especially with your first child. Lord have mercy. So when we see someone else making different choices than ours, instead of being content and confident that we made the best decision for our kids and our family, we perceive that different choice as a criticism of how we're parenting. No? What about the mom that was shamed because she made the decision to bottle feed instead of breastfeed? What about the mom who decided vaccines weren't best for her baby or the mom that did? 
Not feeding your child organic fruit from the forests of South America? Do you even love them? Milk? Cow's milk? Ugh, I've read so many studies about that. Start to sound familiar? We can't claim to care about the welfare of children if we're shaming other parents for the choices that they're making. And all of this chatter and nonsense is really, as Dr. Brene Brown states in her book, Daring Greatly, an attempt to conveniently distract us from this important and difficult truth. Who we are and how we engage with the world are much stronger predictors of how our children will do than what we know about parenting. What you feed Billy isn't nearly as important as how Billy watches you treat other people. Shelly may benefit from taking those private piano lessons, but she's more affected by the way she hears you speaking to your spouse. As humans, we learn our sense of worthiness, belonging, and how to love from our first families, our family of origin, those that we're born into. Most importantly, by how we see our parents engaging with the world. So instead of asking ourselves if we're parenting the right way, we need to begin asking ourselves, am I the type of person I'd want my child to grow up to be? Joseph Chilton Pierce writes, what we are teaches the child more than what we say. So we must be what we want our children to become. I know I've just dropped a lot of information on you. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Hi guys, I want to take a brief moment to just talk about how much I want to encourage you to engage with me here at Rooted. I want you to start tapping in to my social media. The number one place you can find me is on Instagram at Shania, S-H-I-N-I-A underscore Lambert, L-A-M-B-E-R-T. Again, on Instagram at Shania, S-H-I-N-I-A. N-I-A underscore Lambert, L-A-M-B-E-R-T. That is my hub for all things related to me. You'll find there links to my podcast and updates on new episodes. You'll also find that in between episodes, which post at six o'clock every Wednesday, new information or other tidbits, reels, posts, memes that relate to the current subject. And sometimes just something that I find funny that I think that you'll enjoy as well. The reason why I want you to engage in my social media is because I don't want this just to be a, a monologue. I want it to be a dialogue. I want to hear from you. I want to know, do you agree? Do you disagree? What have some of your experiences been? Not just with this current series that we're on, but any of the subjects that we've discussed. I want to hear your questions. I want to know how to better serve you. And I can only know that if I hear from you. So please feel free to comment on the posts that you see, like and share podcast episodes that you feel like bring value. Don't forget that you can also private message me or DM me if it's something personal that you don't want to share with the public. Also, if you engage with the Anchor app where my podcast is hosted, you also have the ability to record comments or questions that if I find edifying that I will include in future episodes. And so I just really want to encourage you to not be afraid to engage with me. I want to hear from you. And again, the best place to do that is on Instagram at my handle, Shania underscore Lambert. I can't wait to hear from you. Welcome back, guys. So this discussion that we're be we've been having is revolving around this idea of vulnerability. And it's the idea that we have to let go 
of this pressure to parent perfectly. One, it's an unattainable and unreasonable goal, which is always going to leave us feeling disappointed and discouraged because it's something that we cannot attain. It's something that we can't reach or accomplish. It also is going to leave our kids feeling depleted because we're putting pressure on ourselves, which then pours over onto them to try to perform and to do and to be. And it's too much for everyone. Vulnerability means being able to admit that parenting is hard. And it is. I don't know that there's any class, book, experience that can fully prepare you for being a parent. But when we push away vulnerability, it starts to be replaced by other things. When we don't acknowledge that it's hard, when we don't allow ourselves to feel the emotion, the frustration, the shame, all of the things that come with being vulnerable and the hardness of parenting, it begins to be replaced by other things like competition with other parents, trying to prove something to someone, measuring success by arbitrary means, and attempting to just frustrate and exhaust ourselves to execute and reach unreasonable goals. When really what we truly desire and what our children need is to feel a sense of belonging without having to perform, without having to pretend. Because ideally what we want is to raise children that know their worth, that value themselves and value other people. Children that can engage in the world in a healthy way. Children that don't fear making a mistake. And children that have the courage to do the hard thing. But this means that as parents, we have to acknowledge that we can't give our kids what we don't have. It doesn't mean we can't learn skills, but it does mean we have to be honest with ourselves about where we are. We also, as parents, have to honor our children's journey towards becoming who God called them to be, even if it's different than what we expected. We also, as parents, need to be willing to be vulnerable and allow our kids to see us process through emotions. And also as parents, we need to reject a scarcity mindset that tells us that we're not doing enough, that we're not enough, that our children are not enough. And one of the ways that we can combat that mentality and start executing on these other points is that we have to begin having a conversation about worthiness and shame. Worthiness, your innate value, does not come with prerequisites. Do you remember when you take certain courses in high school or college and there may be other courses that you were required to take before you were eligible? Worthiness isn't like that. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to at some point tap in and become eligible. You are it. We have to learn and teach our kids how to also operate from a place of worthiness. They are worthy just because they are, just because they exist on this planet. But they won't know that if what they see is you and I placing prerequisites on our own worthiness. When we say things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be worthy when, it could be anything from when you lose weight to when you get into a new relationship, when you buy a new house, a job, or car, when you finish your degree or have a baby, all worthy things. They just aren't indicative of your worth. Shame loves an if-then situation because the target is always moving. If you base your happiness, your worth, your value, your satisfaction on something that you believe you need to obtain, the trap is and will always be that even if you get it, it'll never be enough. 
the target will move. It'll be that you need to lose more weight or get more toned or a bigger house or now you need two kids. It's a trap. It's an absolute trap. And the enemy thrives here because when you don't have it, you feel a lack of value. You also feel shame because you believe you should have it. And if you don't have it, it must mean that there's something wrong with you. And these messages, whether overt or subtle, are seen and absorbed by our babies. They watch how we look at ourselves in the mirror. They listen to how we talk about ourselves and our circumstances. They ingest everything that we vomit up that tears us down. And they believe that if it can be true about you, the one they adore, the one they depend on, the one that to them who can do anything, then it must also be true about them. If for no other reason, we have to watch what we're doing because I guarantee you, our kids are. Kids notice everything, maybe more than we're aware of, but they do. They even notice a slight change in your mood, how you look at them, how you speak to them. My son is notorious for this. I can't hide anything. (laughs) I'll think I'm doing a great job of not expressing how stressed I am. And just based on how I answer a question of his, he'll stop and say, are you okay? Now, I appreciate his love and sentiment, but you know what started to happen over time? It stopped becoming, are you okay? And developed into, are you okay? Did I do something wrong? It wasn't intentional on my part. It wasn't even consciously, but it happened because he's watching me. Listen to this excerpt from Daring Greatly, um, where Dr. Brene Brown quotes Toni Morrison when she appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show. Let me get to the page. So if you have the book or you pick up the book, which I highly encourage that you do, this is found in Daring Greatly by Dr. Brene Brown in her chapter on wholehearted parenting, beginning on page 223. And she says, sometimes prerequisites and perfectionism are handed down in very subtle ways. One of the very best pieces of parenting advice that I ever received was from the writer Toni Morrison. It was May of 2000 and Ellen was just shy, Ellen is Dr. Brene Brown's daughter, was just shy of her first birthday. Miss Morrison was on Oprah talking about her book, The Bluest Eye. Oprah said, Tony says a beautiful thing about the messages that we get about who we are when a child first walks into a room. And she asked Miss Morrison to talk about it. Miss Morrison explained that it's interesting to watch what happens when a child walks into a room. She asked, does your face light up? She explained, when my children used to walk in the room when they were very little, I looked at them to see if they had buckled their pants or if their hair was combed or if their socks were up. You think your affection and your deep love is on display because you're caring for them. It's not. When they see you, they see the critical face. What's wrong now? Her advice was simple, but paradigm shifting for me. She said, let your face speak what's in your heart. When they walk in the room, my face says, I'm glad to see them. It's just as small as that, you see. Dr. Brene Brown goes on to say, I literally think about that advice every day. It's become a practice. When Ellen comes bounding down the stairs dressed for school, I don't want my first comment to be, pull your hair back or those shoes don't match your dress. I want my face to convey how happy I am to see her, to be with her. When Charlie, that's her son, 
comes in the back door and he's sweaty and dirty from catching lizards, I want to flash a smile before I say, don't touch anything until you wash your hands. So often we think that we are earning parenting points by being critical, put out, and exasperated. Those first looks can be prerequisites or worthiness builders. I don't want to criticize when my kids walk in the room. I want to light up. (sighs) That makes you think, right? So what are three things that we can do to start parenting a little differently in the light of the subject of vulnerability, worthiness, and shame? The number one thing we can do is separate our children from their behavior. Your child isn't bad. Your child's behavior may be bad in that moment. These slight distinctions pack a major punch. They prevent your child from associating their value and worth with their behavior or performance. One has absolutely nothing to do with the other. Referring to your child as bad versus addressing the behavior leads to shame. And shame tells them they're unlovable. And when you as a child are completely dependent upon the person or people that you believe don't love you, feeling unlovable is a threat to survival, which ultimately leads to trauma. Number two, we want to teach and model shame resilience. For example, I can tell my son to be brave and to try new things. But does he see me being brave? Does he get to witness me trying new things? I can tell him that it's silly or irrational to be anxious or afraid of making a mistake. But how does he see me handle stress or mistakes and sometimes the resulting shame or guilt? So number one, we want to separate our children from from their behavior. Number two, we want to teach and model shame resistance. And last but not least, we want to make sure that our kids know that they belong with us in this family, in this home. Understanding the difference between belonging and fitting in is critical. Belonging is this human desire to be part of something larger than ourselves. Fitting in is a barrier to belonging. Fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming whoever it is you feel you need to be in order to be accepted. Our kids need to know they belong. They shouldn't have to change to fit in. Not anywhere but especially not here with us. So today we've talked about vulnerability and assessing an emotional intelligence. The idea that we can release this need to be perfect. Again, it's an unattainable goal and one that ultimately frustrates us and frustrates our children. In this goal to stop pursuing perfection and to focus on progress, we can let go of this need to compete with other parents, to try to measure our children's worthiness by these arbitrary measurements that don't matter in the long run, and allow our children to go on the journey to become who it is that they want to be. We also get to encourage our children to know their worth and to value themselves, to not fear making a mistake, to learn how to engage with others in a healthy way, and to have the courage to do the hard thing. And we do that primarily by showing them. Our kids ultimately are going to begin to mimic who we are much more than what we say. Remember what Joseph Chilton Pierce wrote, what we are teaches the child more than what we say. So we must be what it is we want our children to become. The childish way or the the funnier way to say that again is monkey say. It's not monkey say, monkey do. It's monkey see, monkey do, right? 
we are programmed to model and imitate those behaviors that we get to witness on a regular basis. We're hardwired that way. And so if we want to instill a healthy sense of vulnerability in our children, if we want to instill a sense of worthiness and value and to get them to understand that value is not associated with their performance, we must understand that first because we can't give our kids what we don't have. Now, this is not condemnation, but if you do feel convicted in some way that you have modeled a behavior that you now see in your child, it's a chance to assess whether that's a healthy behavior you want to encourage or whether it's time to have a sit down and have a talk. You know, my mom and I are always laughing because my son has picked up my mannerisms when it comes to debate and arguing and making points. He will hear me state a point. And whether it's right then or later on, if the subject comes up again, he'll restate that point with conviction as if it was originally his thought. And it's such a reminder and a picture to me that as his parent, I have this unique ability to almost implant theology, implant a mindset. And that is a huge responsibility. I have to watch what I say. It's it's why we can see children who carry racist ideologies or prejudiced ideologies, not because they've ever had an experience that they believe would warrant them to feel that way about someone else. It's because of what they've heard. It's because of what they've seen displayed in those families of origin, the place where they've grown up. And their sense of dependency upon that parent makes them believe that they must absorb and appropriate what it is that parent is putting out. It's a survival mechanism. We have to remember again that shame loves this if-then situation where it puts prerequisites on our worthiness, and we have to resist that both in our own lives and again in what we display to our children. We have to be prepared to combat that when they encounter that outside of the home, at school, and with extracurricular activities and et cetera. When other people have access to to our kids, they also have the ability to impose influence upon them, their friends, their teachers, whoever it may be, their coaches. church individuals, church leaders, we have to be able to recognize and address when shame is rearing its ugly head, when our kids are questioning their worthiness because of performance or because they don't feel like they belong. The number one place our kids need to belong is here at home. When we cultivate a sense of belonging, it helps to solidify their identity. A part of belonging for us as believers is securing our identity in Christ, understanding who we are, that we belong in him first. Ideally, then in our first family, our families of origin, when we then walk out the door, knowing that we belong to God first and then to our own kind of special hub, our families We are confident that when we go to school or we go to work or we engage with other people that we don't have to fit in because we already have a place where we belong. And so I hope that this episode encourages you not only to assess and think about the messages that you're sending to your kids, but also for you to feel encouraged to maybe address some of the shame or if-then prerequisites that you've been giving yourself. It has been my absolute pleasure to bring this episode to you. I missed last week. I missed being able to record, but I thought it was a good time to give us a little break and give us some time to catch up. We have two more episodes in this series. We're going to also be talking about generational trauma. Um, And we'll also be talking about co-parenting and the challenges that can come with that. In the midst of co-parenting, we'll talk about what that looks like when you're married as well as when you're single and hopefully come to some resolutions and some solutions that help us to do these things in a more effective way. 
Guys, as always, I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to listen. If you find value in this episode or in the podcast period, please feel free to share it on multiple platforms, engage with me on social media, and I look forward to hearing from you. Again, I'm Shania, and this is Rooted.